Welcome to Peace Mindedly Podcast, a show featuring peaceful bridge makers. You are watching this show from my personal channel, Peace Talk with Sarah, and also from Goldtoon News channel on YouTube. And the same program is available on goldtoon.com. Before we move ahead with our programming today and our guest, I have a very quick favor to ask you, and that is to please pledge your support to our um, independent news media outlet. We are independent and we rely on your financial support. Please consider going to goldtoon.com and help us financially. Thank you very, very much. And now about today's show, I am super excited about today's program because I wonder, I wonder if you have a son. So the question is, do you have a son? Or the other question is, um, do you wish your mother-in-law taught a few important things about feminism to, to your husband? Or, or do you know feminism? Uh, what is feminism? And who are, who are feminists? And then have you lived in a society, in a patriarchal, in a masculine society where you have been put down as a woman? about these subjects and much more, we have absolutely perfect guest that I love her book. So Sonora Ja is the author of How to Raise a Feminist Son, How to Raise a Feminist Son, Motherhood, Masculinity, and the Making of My Family. Sonora is an essayist, novelist, researcher, and professor at Seattle University. She grew up in Mumbai in India, and she was chief of the Metropolitan Bureau of the Times of India and also editor for the East magazine in Singapore. So Nora's op-eds and essays has appeared on many, many places, uh, the New York Times, the Seattle Times, and several anthologies. She will talk to us from her Seattle home office, and I am super excited. Hello, Sonora. Hello, Sarah. So lovely to be here in conversation with you. Absolutely. Pleasure is mine. Okay, Sonora, I, I, I would, I mean, I would love to know what happened, why you decided to write this book. Oh, that's a great question. Um, so I grew up as a feminist, you know, uh, although I didn't hear of the term until I was about 2021. 20, uh, but there was always the sense of something uh, that didn't feel quite right growing up in a patriarchal society like India, uh, which really I think patriarchy now is across the globe. But uh, so I was kind of living a feminist life and hadn't really thought of writing the book until my son was kind of grown up and going to college. And I realized that I had actually made a sort of a, a pledge to myself to raise the kind of boy or man that I still hadn't encountered in my life, you know? So it was really a, a personal journey. Uh, and then when I started to write, I'd written a novel and then I started to write a memoir and I couldn't quite get to the theme of the memoir, but I would keep writing these essays, these political op-eds and essays about masculinity, the Me Too movement, etc. And those would get a lot of feedback and a lot of people would say, yes, we need to have these conversations about how we need to raise our boys to be different. And so it's sort of connected with this theme of how I had raised my son and what was 
really an important conversation we needed in society. And so then it became this collection of essays as memoir that was also a conversation with society, but also all these personal narratives of mine. Yes, you just mentioned that you were a feminist and then you were raising your son. You just felt this this kind of urge to pledge towards this, this idea. Here's my question. You know, I have a lovely fair-minded husband and and I do enjoy our conversation all the time but when I was reading the book I I really wished that um, my mother-in-law would teach some of those concepts to my husband so so my question is somehow when I was just reading I was thinking wouldn't the author you ever thought about I wish my husband my ex uh, knew about these things and may put me in less pain Absolutely, absolutely. So, right, I have two exes in terms of two ex-husbands. Both of them were wonderful men, but I, you know, one of the things I realized, which I didn't want for my son, was the trap of masculinity, the trap of traditional masculinity, right? So they've been raised in this way where I don't think they've been called on to do better by either their mothers or, you know, like why blame the mothers alone, all of society, right, of the the uh, masculine rain, uh, role models that they had, etc. There were so many moments where I felt like, wait, you love me, but you're not able to get over this one thing, right? You're not able to get over, you know, your emotional journey or, or, or make that emotional leap and uh, or you're not able to really stand in solidarity with feminism and with people of color and you can do it if not you then who you know you are a man you have so much power in the world whether you're an Indian man in India whether you're a white man in the US you know these were my two husbands and uh, I realized I don't want my son to be similarly thwarted in his own masculinity I want him to expect better from himself and I hope to one day have a daughter-in-law that says yes you nailed it you know so that we (laughs) yes I wonder why is that? Why do we encourage men of not showing feeling or not showing emotions? Why why it's being considered weak? Mm. I mean, I think, you know, and a lot of feminists have argued that I think in the past it made sense, right? Evolution or something must have we might have needed these brave men to go kill tigers or whatever and bring them and maybe they need to look like really strong and that they can kill everyone else and be the alpha male. Well, we don't need that anymore. And also, you know, really, if you want me to be a traditional woman, bring me the tiger, right? Show me where the tiger is. If you're bringing me a tiger, maybe I'll be a traditional woman. Anyway, I'm just kidding. We don't want, tigers are endangered. We don't want the tigers. We want to keep the, keep the tigers alive. But um, I think we have done men a disservice as a society, even as women, right? We think that we want the strong guy who can beat up the other guys. The world is an unsafe place for women in general. And I think we think the way to tackle that is to have a stronger guy beating up the weaker guy so that we will be safe. But that's not how safety happens, as we know. We need everyone to stand in solidarity and back off because women are able to, we don't need protection. We just need you to be able to not attack us. That's all. Yes, not attack us. We are going to go into assault and attacking. But in your opinion, what um, what kind of masculine characteristics you think that feminists can enjoy? 
That's a great question. You know, so I want someone who is emotionally available, right? A young man, you know, should be uh, able to recognize that that traditional concept of the stoic man who is aloof, etc., is not attractive anymore. So I think, uh, you know, raising my son to be emotionally tender, kind-hearted, listening to women, validating their things, or just you know, just staying quiet, right? Even being quiet and letting women speak, standing in solidarity with them, recognizing, believing women, making room for them, passing the mic if you're able, if you're speaking or if you have a platform, passing the mic to women, having equal space or for some time maybe unequal space, making space for them. All of these things are not taking away from your masculinity. I think they make you more of a, a better human being and also ask you to do a little bit better. Yes. And if you're if you are called to do better, it's it's just going to be satisfying to you. Absolutely. Here's the few things that the question comes in my mind. The first thing is that women are proactive about their own rights. So even women do not pass the mic, they just get the mic. This is one thing that I'm seeing. The other one, I mean, I was just I was just thinking, would it be ever possible? I'm from Iran and I know that I'm I'm coming from a patriarchal society, so I'm not passing any judgment. But would you think that um this this kind of book was even possible to be published in India? I'm just asking question. I don't know. Yeah, it has been published in India. So uh-huh. now okay, there's, okay. there's an Indian edition as well, and it's doing pretty well, uh, which I'm, I'm really happy to say. Let me see if I... Yoo-hoo! Yay! <laughs> yeah. Hindi, yes! Where is it? This is the Indian edition oh, yeah. of the book. And yeah, it's doing fairly well. And um, can you show us the inside? The, I want to see. Is it in Indian? Indian? Um, oh no, it's writing? not. It's not okay, in okay. Hindi. It's in English. I and see. I see. Wanted to be translated in. Mm-hmm. Um, I wanted to be mm-hmm. in Hindi and other in, uh, Indian languages. That would be great. Mm-hmm. And an edition coming out in Brazil as well. So these three patriarchal cultures, the United States is also patriarchal in its own way, right? So U.S., India, and Brazil, and I'm very satisfied. All three of us have had these massively patriarchal presidents recently, you know. So I think it's it's been really important. So, uh, and, and prime ministers in India. But I think, you know, talking about like and and cross-culturally we've agreed right so when we talk about women as well we are also contributing to this thing of not passing the mic like you said uh, because patriarchy makes us believe that we have to be in competition with each other that there's not enough room for all of us to be successful and that's not true and once we start to claim our space then we'll recognize actually there's enough enough room for all of us and for all our voices Yes, room for all of us and for all of the voices, but there are voices that you're leaving out and you, you're leaving behind. And that is uh, in your intersectionality feminism, you're leaving behind Muslim women. Why? Okay. That is something that I found after I had written the, the American version. So in the Indian version, I did include Muslim voices. And if I if I were able to write this book again, I would definitely include many more uh, Muslim voices. I don't think um, 
I, I really, I do feel that that's uh, something I, I regret and I apologize for that. Um, and, and I try to make up for it for sure in the Indian version. And of course we can do much more. Having said that, I must say my next, uh, my novel that's coming out uh, in about a year and a half is, uh, which is just sold, um, is actually, uh, it's a fictional account, but very true. It's on Islamophobia and the white imagination. So this is something very front and center for me. And so that's why I'm, I'm kind of confused about why, uh, you know, there are Muslim women's voices left out. Although I did have, I did quote from people like Sarah Ahmed and, uh, you know, important Muslim feminists. So yes, yes, you did about Muslim feminists and about featuring these people. Here's my question. We know that you and your son really enjoy going to movies and talking about movies and discussing the movies. It was at the beginning of the book, it, it it was this movie your son uh, took you to uh, rise of the planet ape and then it was a story in the book that you're explaining i just love this story can you tell us the story yes sure so you know this was he had become he was a teenager and he had started to go to the movies with his friends you know so he was watching his uh, movies with his friends and there was this one movie he said you know uh, mama you have to watch the rise of the planet of the apes and i said oh god i don't like to watch movies about apes and you know all these other things and he said no 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 there's one scene in it that you really i think you will like this so i said okay okay let's go watch the movie about the apes and then you know there's it's like three quarters into the movie there's this really important scene where um and it's kind of like a bit of a spoiler but i'll say it anyway um that you know there's a scene where the zookeeper who has trapped the main ape caesar uh, the zookeeper has locked him and the other apes up into their cages and these apes have been given you know have uh, have taken this serum which makes them super smart and he comes to beat up this main ape called Caesar and Caesar does this rebellion and in that moment for the audience it's exhilarating when Caesar suddenly rises up to his biggest size and says no and that is so powerful because to me this, it was like about revolution and that is what the film is trying to say as well it's about resistance it's about dissent and uh, my son Gibran, he would he looked over at me watching that scene, and it was important for him to see my face seeing that resistance. And so it kind of like tied us together in this th thought of resistance and dissent and speaking up and using your voice and rebelling against power. And it was very satisfying for me. Excellent, very satisfying to you. Uh, you're talking about your son and all of the experiences, and is the book is about the son. I mean, I mean, raising a feminist son. Tell us about your son. How does he look like? Tell us about him from your point of view, a mother. Oh, thank you for asking that. Well, he's the most handsome man in the world. <laughs> so he's he's 26 and he's he's a very kind hearted person. And, you know, um, he's he his friends say that he does listen. His uh, women friends say that he's very kind and listens to them and also places himself in the same position like his friend has said in the book that she was surprised as a cisgender uh, heterosexual male when she shared with him that she's self-conscious about her, her body he said that he was also self-conscious about his body and he decided not to go to this party where she was not wanting to go it was a pajama party like these kinds of 
things make me realize that, you know, he doesn't try to wear this badge of feminism. He actually doesn't like the performative aspect of dudes who like say, oh yeah, I'm a feminist, you know. Um, and he's gentle and kind and very intellectual. And uh, the other thing that is uh, lacking that I'm still working on is that he does mansplain. And so I keep working on that. And, you know, he tells me, well, this is not mansplaining. This is me just being like, you know, I just happen to know about this thing. And I say, no, 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 this part is what not. What is mansplain? Well, uh, mansplaining. Uh, so oh. it's uh, Rebecca Solnit had written this book called Men Explain Things to Me. And then. Uh-huh. One came up with the term to explain what she's talking about or to, to capture what she's talking about. And it's like when men explain to you something that you are already an expert on, right? Like a man would come and say to you, Sarah, I should tell you, you know, about podcasting that he may not know enough on and say, well, you know, you should know this about podcasting, right? So that's like, you're already an expert on it. You're already doing it. But when men try to explain, you know, it's a very common phenomenon. I think all of us have experienced it. So sometimes my son will try and tell me about the publishing industry, about how to write a novel and, you know, things like that. (laughs) Yeah, <laughs> maybe this his own way of rebel against you know revealing too much about him. Don't you think so? Could be, could be, absolutely. Although I, I think I try to protect his privacy, but yeah, it could be. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Excellent. Uh, about we were talking about movie. I wonder, do you have any all-time favorite feminist movie? Yes, absolutely. There's an Indian movie, you must watch it. It's called Mirch Masala. And I've I've mentioned it in the book as well. It's M-I-R-C-H Masala, M-A-S-A-L-A. And it's uh, set in India. It's set during the British rule, but it's about this village of women uh there's this this young woman in the village uh is uh um, you know there's a sexual advance that this indian british uh, uh, police officer for the british he makes a sexual advance at her and he wants her and he tries to rape her but she slaps him and she runs into the spice factory where all women are working and they close the door and the whole story is about how women in the village sort of like slowly start to stand in solidarity at first they resist and they tell her get out of here you're putting us all in danger but they slowly start to reveal their own uh, experiences and so this is almost like a me too movie years before the me too movement right so it's it's an excellent movie and you will get subtitles and everything but i highly recommend watching it yes we are going to put that in our website for people to to learn about the movie and watch so please stay put with me you are listening to peace mindedly podcast a show featuring peaceful bridge makers if you are watching us you are on peace talk with sarah and goldtoon.com two youtube channels that we manage under the same same platform for this hour we talk with sonora ja author of how to raise a feminist son mother Masculinity, masculinity and the making of my family published by okay i'm gonna have fun with this word sasquatch sasquatch i did it sasquatch book so previously sonora published foreign a debut novel on true stories of farmers suicide in contemporary india you can find a wealth of information about her book and about the program on goldtoon.com sonora is a professor of journalism at seattle university she teaches fiction and essay writing uh, for hugo house for 
Hedgebrook Writers Retreat and Seattle Public Library. We have other feminist guests in our show. Carol Hay, the author of How to Think Like a Feminist, explains the three, four waves of feminism in the United States and in Europe. And also she talks about intersectionality and many, many aspects of feminism. Also, we had Aisha Chaudhry, a Muslim feminist who wrote a beautiful book talking about the intense masculine society in in Pakistan and and how women in Pakistan are resisting against that. Her book is The Color of God. For today's show, we are talking with Sonora Ja. Okay, Sonora, we were talking about your son and we're talking about, you know, how kind and how uh, receptive he is towards women, uh, I mean, towards uh, his women friends. But here's the thing. How do women should treat feminist men so they they do not, men do not feel that they've been taken advantage of? Hmm. Uh, that's a very unique question. So that men do not feel they've been taken advantage of. Um I wonder what that means, right? What what would it mean for a man to feel that he's been taken advantage of, right? So is it, are you thinking like in terms of money or uh, emotions? So we said usually in, in our society, men are trained not to be open emotionally, not to be open through their feelings. I'm thinking, so if we, we are dealing with a feminist man and he is receptive toward a women movement, toward pain that women uh, suffer uh, through assault, through many, many other circumstances, and then, and then he's open he is nice he is kind and yet um how to deal with this kind of kindness that he doesn't feel that he's been taken advantage of because we do have some powerful women who just do anything for uh, for the um, gain of power or for the gain of imbalancing the dynamic dynamic power within, within the relationship so i wonder what is your thoughts about that yeah, okay, I, I get what you're saying now. So I think what you're talking about is really emotional abuse when someone does that kind of thing, right? And that is possible whether it is in a relationship with the brother or with a mother, father, uh, etc. So I would hesitate to call it out as, oh, women are doing this to a feminist man, because I think if you are a feminist man and you stand in solidarity, you can uh, you can still be doing that. And, and when something like this happens, you can put it down to an individual level, right? That this particular woman or this particular man is acting this way. And that is not because I am a feminist or because I've been too good or I've been too kind, but it's because this person is emotionally abusive. And so just treat it as, as you would any other relationship without thinking it's being taken advantage of because you're a feminist man. Just because you are being a better human being, if someone is taking advantage of you being a better human being, then that is emotional abuse and you have to deal with it in the same way that you would if it were a man or a woman or something, which is to call it out and say, hey, I think you're being exploitative and I uh, I would love to continue to be in solidarity. I totally get how you feel, but I also don't want to be exploited as a human being and as your partner, right? So I think, I think that we take 
we we don't see it as a response to feminism or as a way to you know uh, that you might be it, it could be true of anyone so women who've been really kind etc have been taken advantage of as well right so we have to just put it down to that individual who is doing something wrong rather than your way of being that is inviting it right absolutely so love kindness and peace is i think the ultimate goal we are in this era of pandemic and so much difficulties for so many people so i wonder in your opinion you're talking about assault and you're talking about uh, pain i wonder why do we need love kindness compassion to just um re resist against assault and pain or do or what is your opinion about how to really address assault and pain assault against women well that's a huge question right and it's a huge uh, issue to tackle i think one for sure teaching boys not to rape rather than talking about women saying you know don't wear this don't go out at night be with be with people don't be alone don't um, you know don't divorce your husband you'll end up all alone and you might get taken advantage of or raped or whatever right all these fears that we put into women um we need to stop doing that or, or you know we can still say yeah it's unsafe to walk down that street but what are you doing to make that a safe street to walk down so it really starts with men we have to teach men not to rape teach boys not to assault not to um go beyond consent right take get consent from a woman at every stage of uh, any sexual activity or sexual advance um if we teach them and we really take that seriously i think that we will have fewer sexual assaults and we will have fewer of these things because really sexual assaults happen because men are assaulting you know so let's teach them not to assault and and make it very very uh, important with that right of course we'll always have someone who breaks away from that the other thing is that women have to stand in solidarity with each other when it comes to this and that comes from having an unconditional love for other women unconditional stop gossiping about other women stop judging other women and that starts with yourself and these past few years especially in the pandemic i've really had the chance to have unconditional love for myself just show like madly in love with myself because when i'm madly in love with myself i'm madly in love with my sisters and other women and i see their you know they they all struggling they all trying to find their way in the world and to sort of bring them along and say you know honey this is fine and we have to ask our boys to do better better and your daughter should be able to ask my son to be better yes excellent point so can we explore this idea of to to madly in love with ourselves i am the same i mean i think i love myself so much but uh, but how, how would you do that how would you love yourself unconditionally you know i think a lot of it is first of all uh, get therapy or anything else something like that that works for you because a lot of us have to overcome the trauma and heal from things that that have happened all our lives right and so you may think oh therapy is only for people who are a little bit crazy or they've got like deep mental health issues i think every woman and every, really every human being can can benefit from that and i think it has really benefited me i think we're not supposed to talk about these things in our communities like but i think it's really really important and i don't want to interrupt you don't forget your point but i think my husband is going to listen to this conversation really carefully because he's a psychiatrist and he believes that everyone needs a therapist 
Absolutely. I, I, I totally agree with him. And yes, I mean, I think that has really benefited me to get some of the voices that were telling me, you know, whatever, I, I've, I've achieved so much, but we keep like thinking that we're not good enough or we're not, you know, there yet, etc. And to silence some of those voices or to call, to recognize, oh, I didn't see this as abusive. I Now I see it, right? And to have that compassion for the child I was, the girl I was, love her, go back in time in your imagination, love that child, and then love yourself now. And it doesn't mean like, oh, I'm going to buy myself all these things and do tons of shopping. Although sometimes, yeah, sure, you can do that too. But, um, but it's also about really being compassionate with yourself and saying, rest rest for a while, take a nap to go, you know, there's this lovely thing called the nap ministry that everyone should follow, but, you know, just take a nap, take, be, take it easy. Uh, you know, say no to people, recognize that you have reached the end of your emotional labor, etc. Those kinds of things become really important. Stand up for yourself, you know, tell people, no, I think you're saying something that is very problematic and bringing them along, you know, and, and when you're acting from that authentic place of loving yourself, you sort of stand as an example for others to do the same thing um yeah excellent so excellent so we talked about how to love yourself and ways in which how about let's say that you have given the power of being a principal of education in the united states and you are uh, going to teach men of not to rape or not to or get consent so how would you do that yeah, I would definitely bring in some experts, right, who talk about uh, sexual development of, of kids and and talk about sexuality and not just sex. And I say that in my book, I quote some uh, psychologists that talk about how talking about sexuality can mean everything from, uh, you know, how love, you know, loving relationships, all kinds of relationships to being LGBTQ, to actual sex, to your development of your bodies, uh, consent as a child like you know not uh, not having to give hugs to grandparents or aunts and uncles and saying no I don't want to right now I don't want to give that kiss you know we keep telling our babies and our toddlers oh give them give uncle a kiss and everything we don't have to do those kinds of things so I think I would bring in those uh, people and also be you know this nonsense of uh, telling girls that oh don't wear this or don't wear that because you'll distract the boys I mean luckily that there's a good amount of conversation around that but for years we've told girls don't wear this to school don't wear your your uh, length of your skirt should be below your knees etc you know those rules are just nonsense the only thing now we need sadly enough to tell kids is wear your mask you know but all other such rules should go flying out the window and we really really need to focus on boys and say look like this has happened one thing I say too in the book is that I talked to my son when he was a teenager I talked to him about my sexual assaults and said that you know just so you know that this is the kind of masculinity that's out there and and I want you to work toward not being that to women. Don't be threatening and don't think you deserve something. And sure enough, he doesn't feel that way. He, he truly knows, you know, what consent is and how he's not entitled to some woman's uh, body or to, you know, to sex from a girlfriend or woman. Yes, yes. Um, perfect. So here, here's my question. I think I asked my question in a, a different way, but I'm just curious to know your opinion because you are a feminist. Uh, there are amazing excellent parts in feminist uh, feminism and feminist thoughts and theology i mean um, doctrine uh, we also have a toxic parts in feminism that it's not really 
serving the, the the larger picture so i wonder how would you uh, how would you uh, teach your son to stay away or to to be a bit more protective towards not too pleasant parts of feminism yes so historically especially in america right the term feminism uh, was popularized by the feminist movement in the united states and it was a, a really a very strongly white women's feminism and so i write in the book about how you know white women's feminism uh, doesn't necessarily fit the feminism for my son that for him i need to work with other people work with lgbtq communities work with black women or black uh, people and other uh, people of color bipoc people and uh, internationally look at you know how is feminism serving other communities or not serving them or holding them back right so you know here in the united states years ago you had the the example of emmett till where a white woman said this black boy 14 year old boy uh, whistled at her or or, uh, or a cat called her or something and then the, all these white men came and murdered that boy and you know beat him up and threw him in a river and later the woman said that that she it hadn't happened and so the white woman has that power over uh, boys of color even today right they can call the police on them etc so that's not that kind of feminism where you know it's it's dangerous and it's been dangerous and it has left out other women of color as well. So that kind of feminism is very problematic. And so certain kinds of toxicity in feminism can be really problematic to the feminist movement and to other men as well and male allies. So, you know, I've, I've taught my son to also stand in solidarity with these intersections of people of color and, you know, as a man of color himself, but also other people of color and with the LGBTQ movement and with, you know, he's a socialist and he, he works with that as well to recognize income inequality and see where all those things intersect so that one privileged group of feminists doesn't bring everyone else down. Excellent. We are talking with Sonora Jha, author of How to Raise a Feminist Son, if I can show it here, Motherhood, Masculinity, and the Making of My Family. This is a signature in our show that we ask our guests to share something meaningful about peace, kindness, compassion. And I know Sonora has something for us. She told me that she is, she is reading from a passage. So we are all ears. Lovely, thank you. So this is actually from the very end of my book where I sum up, sum up everything. So I say, some of these things may seem like boys just being compassionate, empathetic, kind people. Why label it feminism, you may ask? We label it feminism because their compassion, empathy, and kindness is turned in its attention to the female condition, the condition of half of humanity. It is alert to misogyny, which turns the knife just a little more into the cultural wound. Our boys notice the turn of the knife. They name it. They see how they are complicit. They call it out. They amplify. They learn when to be quiet and sit down. They learn when to get out of the way. And they heave together to topple structures that give them an unfair advantage. Feminism is about love. If we teach our children this new way to love, we will, see that lo we will see that love grow and take new forms that will make our hearts burst open at unexpected moments. 
And when this happens, we will slow down to feel the world turning, changing. When our boys do or say something that shows us that we have grown feminists, we will celebrate the heck out of these successes. We will shout our boys' feminism from the rooftops. Beautiful, beautiful. For all moms and dads who are interested in raising kind, compassionate, full-hearted boys, How to Raise a Feminist Son is the book that they need to read. Here with Martin, uh, we enjoyed the conversation. Thank you so much. Yes, very much. Thank you. Thank you both. Thank you very much. Absolutely. Thank you. And Khoda Hafiz.